Hey, hmm? this is the Pendulum Land Podcast. Infrastructure junkies far and wide, welcome to our show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Pendulum Land Podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry. We are your primary source of news, trends, and developments in eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and the Uniform Relocation Act. I'm Dave Arnold. And I'm Kristen Bennett. Chrissy. What? Today, guess what's back? What's back? Guess what's back? Back again, IJR's back, tell, tell a friend. friend. Guess, Guess what's back? back, Guess what's back, Guess what's back, Guess what's back, Guess what's back. Well, I've created a no, monster because nobody no, wants to stop. see. What? No, Slim Shady, no. Nobody's what? listening to this podcast to hear us rap, I don't think. I think we could probably double our audience if I was allowed to rap more on the podcast. No, no, just no. Okay, then you rap. What do you like the Humpty Dance? No, not the. Oh gosh, that's I've heard you do one. that. I know, I know all the words too. And that's filthy, Kristen. Like, it what is, is wrong with it you? Is. It's I, a filthy song. And you told me you used to rap it in high school. It, like, uh, give us some of the lines. Give, give, go ahead, spit a few lyrics of the Humpty Dance. <laughs> go ahead. Hmm? All right, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin. I think that's as far as I can go. And he comes up like, with weird words like "looped." I, I, I singing what you like, and if you missed it, I'm the one that said just grab them in the biscuits. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so I think we should go back to the no rapping rule. For okay, today. back to the no rapping rule. Listeners, what, please do not turn off this podcast. This is the end of the rapping right now, right, Dave? But it is. But okay. what we have today is infrastructure junkies roundtable part deux. Yes. Yes. Last uh, the first half of this season, we created something called infrastructure junkies roundtable, where each panelist brought a right of way topic and a pop culture topic to the group to discuss. I loved that episode. I did too. And you know, we had really, we had a surprisingly large number of downloads for that. We sure did. So we wanted to do it again with some different panelists. But first, as always, this episode is sponsored generously by Pendulum Land Services. Yes. Okay. So you know how most projects cost a lot of money and there are all kinds of delays and they usually come from things like problems with condemnation and relocation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pendulum Land Services is able to nip that in the bud. They are able to identify problems that may arise in condemnation and relocation issues and address them from the onset of the project. And oh. in, yeah. So in addition... Pendulum Land Services is also now a certified DBE firm. They were already SWAM certified in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but now they're a certified DBE firm. So if it's important to you to mitigate condemnation and relocation issues from the onset, and it's important to you to work with small or women-owned businesses, you should check out Pendulum Land Services. You can find them at www.pendulumland.com. That's www.pendulumland.com. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Pendulum Land Services, for your generous sponsorship. And today, we've got uh, a little bit of a shakeup in our panel. You'll recall from the last episode of Infrastructure Junkies Roundtable, Kristen and I were joined by our partners and good friends, Ross Green and Carrie Lynn Hirsch. 
who did wonderful presentations on various topics. Today, a little bit different. We have with us the lovely, talented, and beloved Cindy Welpley. Love Cindy Welpley. Yes, Cindy is a San Diego native living on Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest. Ooh. I understand it's been pretty hot up there this summer. Initially, she wanted to be a California state trooper, but was detoured by a hiring freeze and landed at Caltrans, which is the California Department of Transportation. And that's where Cindy started her right of way career in 1992. Cindy is currently a project manager with HDR Inc., based out of their Salem, Oregon office. She's a longtime member of the International Right-of-Way Association and is currently the IRWA Region 7 chair. Cindy also volunteers with the International Relocation Committee, International Ethics Committee, and International Public Agency Committee. She is also an IRWA CLIMB certified instructor. And, last but not least, Kristen, Cindy is our most recent inductee into the Infrastructure Junkies Hall of Fame. Woohoo! Yes, yes. Cindy's kind of everywhere doing all the things. She is. She's wow. like an icon in the right-of-way industry. I'm, so I'm honored she can make time for us. Me too. And who else do we have today? Oh, my goodness. Hold your horses, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Buckle up for this one, kids. <laughs> we have Kobe Godwin. Yes! Kobe Godwin, who is Canadian, by the way. Did you know this? Yes, I did. Okay, he's one of our favorite Canadians. Kobe Godwin was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where he currently works for Alberta Infrastructure. His career started off as a planning technologist, helping design neighborhoods in North Edmonton before he moved over to infrastructure, working in the planning department. He then moved into his current role as a senior property agent disposing of surplus government land. He has been with the International Right-of-Way Association for 14 years and is currently the Region 10 Chair, serving Western Canada, and has been everything from his local chapter's newsletter editor to serving as co-chair for the memorable 2018 conference in Edmonton. That was very memorable, by the way. He has also been a rep on various IRWA committees, including his current position on the Finance Committee. Kobe is married to his wonderfully supportive wife, Carlene, and has two children, Blake and Kira, who are entering and finishing high school. In his infrequent spare time, he likes to sketch, play board games, walk his dog Rocket, and play in the occasional hockey game. I bet he listens to a lot of Rush as well. Doubt it. Kobe, how you doing? Not too bad at all, sir. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I understand you've been inhaling some smoke up where you are. What? Wait, this is <laughs> yeah, a family show. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. There, there's uh, yeah, some fires out, uh, out in BC that have brought their way back into us. So, You doing all right? Oh, yeah, doing fine, doing fine. A little hazy. Suns football practice got canceled this week, but that's been pretty much the worst of it. So, <laughs> Okay, all right. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you know, the fires will divert elsewhere. And Cindy Welpley, how are things going with you? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Things are peachy keen. I'm so excited to have a West Coaster on our show. I tell you. Especially a Cindy Welpley. Especially a Cindy Welpley West Coaster. Hello. Hey, so... We've introduced you guys, um, but I wanted to share a little something I happen to know about you, Cindy, which is that you have an alter ego. True. Here we go. Yep. True. Very true. Well, you introduced me to the concept of a bar name, um, and so I would like for you to share with us your bar name, if you don't mind. My bar name is Julie. (laughs) And my bar name, which I believe was bestowed upon me by you and Dave, is Courtney. And my bar yes, name, <laughs> which I've had since the 1990s, by the way, is Chad. And oh I actually have gosh. like a first and last name. You're not supposed to have a last name. It's Chad Harwick. Yeah, you're, you don't have to have the last name, but that makes it <laughs> even better. So, Kobe, what's your bar name? Do you have one? You know what? I, no, I don't have one. I just go by Kobe, and uh, 
most people don't know that name anyway, so it works out pretty good. Well, well no, you know, that doesn't no. work for the Pendulum Lab uh, podcast. And no. I have good news for you. Dave okay. Dave has come up with your bar name. We have, a, we have a bar name for you. Are you ready? Should I be worried? Should I be yes. nervous? Yes. Okay. Well, it, makes a lot, it just makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so your bar name is Seth. <laughs> Seth? Yeah. So when you go out and they're like, hey, okay. what's your All name? Right. You say, it's Seth. What if they're like, what's your last Seth. name? Now, now, here's the key. You can't, you have to say just Seth if they say like Seth who. And do you see where this is going? You understand where this yep. is going? Yep. Like what you're going to do is you're going to mind melt. I can't say the mind F word, but the mind, you're going to mind, you're going to mess with people's minds where they're going <laughs> to meet you in a bar. You're going to be like, hey, I'm Seth. And they're going to be like, is that, is that the guy, is that the guy from Knocked Up? But they're not going to be quite sure. I see. And when you don't say the last name, they'll go, they're going to leave. And so they'll like, probably say, "Hey, can we take a selfie, Seth? Just in case. <laughs> just in case you're Seth Rogen. Just in case. But you'll yeah. be like, no, I don't have. A, it's just just Seth. It's just like Seth. Madonna or Prince. Seth. Just Seth. Oh, yeah. I like or it. Seal. I can work with that. Okay, okay, so just remember because I now that I have a bar name, I'm kind of proud of it. I don't really go out, so I don't get to use it. But I'm going to someday, Courtney. Okay. All right. Listen, so this good. is this is infrastructure junkies roundtable du part du part du and uh, that was some French for our Canadian friend here. Yes, right. Just, that was pretty good, right? Excellent. I thought it was German. <laughs> oh gosh, no. So what we do here is uh, each of us has brought a substantive topic, right away topic, and a pop culture topic to discuss, and we're going to alternate. So. Kristen is going to start with a substantive topic, and Kobe is going to follow it with a pop culture topic. Are you ready, Kristen? I'm ready. All right. Hit it, run. Okay. We're not rapping anymore, though, remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. So my topic came from a little family trip I took with my daughters last month, and we went to Ruidoso, New Mexico, and we were kind of traipsing around, wandering around, and we ended up driving into and around the Apache Reservation, and we got to go see this beautiful church that one of my dear friends was baptized in, because he grew up on the reservation, and I started thinking, I'm looking around and thinking, like, wh- who who are the people that live here, and how do they come to live here? Do they lease a house? Do they Do they have a life estate? Do they buy it? Who owns that land, really, and how... Do property rights work there? And then I wondered, like, if you live on a reservation or you grow up there, like, do you want to stay? Do you want to get out? What's the deal? So the first thing I did is I called my friend, uh, Zach, who whose dad grew up on that reservation. And I said, what's the deal? And he was like, I don't really know. So I was like, thank you for nothing. Um, but he did say that most people, he recalled that they, they wanted to get out, but that it's kind of hard to get out. So I did a little research. And here's what I found out with Native American reservations. There, according to Cato.org, there are almost no private business or entrepreneurs on Indian reservations, and they used the word Indian in their article, so I'm using it here, but I typically would say indigenous people, I think, is what we're supposed to say, and it says because... You're canceled. I probably am, Um, but okay, so what the article said on Cato.org is there are almost no private business or entrepreneurs on Indian reservations because there are no property rights. Reservation land is held in trust by the federal government, and it's... Most is also communally owned by the tribe. So that sort of answered that question. And then I wondered, we were driving on a highway through the middle of the reservation when I was thinking about all this. Like, what happens when we need to build a road through a reservation? Do we avoid it? Is it like dealing with a railroad? Or is it like, well, it's federally held land, so we just do it? And I can't find the answer to that. So I need somebody who's listening to this to call and tell me because I'm very curious. But Here's the other thing that I found really interesting and depressing is that um, according to nativepartnership.org, 
There are 5.2 million Native Americans in the United States. 22% of those live on tribal lands. And what what this this organization has said is that it's really like a third world country. Connection to utilities is like a luxury on a reservation. And typical Native Americans live below the poverty line in much larger numbers than others. But those who live on reservations, it's like 38 to 65% of people who live on reservations live below the poverty line. Here's the other thing. If you want to live on a reservation and you're a member of a tribe, you have to go on a wait list. And the wait list is sometimes like over three years long to be able to live there. So it's a, it's hard to get on to live in a reservation and they're hugely overcrowded. Poverty levels are rampant. And the other thing is because they don't own the land, they can't build equity. So it kind of puts them uh, in a in a position to not really be able to have any upward mobility. So anyway, I found all of it really fascinating and interesting, and I've never encountered a project or had anything in my career that even touched Native American land. So I'm really curious about it, and I really mean it. If anybody has experience with that, I'd love to hear how that works. You know, and I, I, um, I taught a couple of courses out in Oregon and quickly realized <clears throat> as I met people across the country through the IRWA, how much more of a significant issue uh, Native American burial sites, reservations, um, historic sites are vis-a-vis right-of-way projects out west as opposed to where I am, where I'm, I know there have to be some Native American lands, and there's like the Nansman Indian tribe in Suffolk, Virginia, uh, where I lived for 20 years, but it's it's just not as common out east as it is out west where, where Cindy is. Sure. Do you guys have any experience with that or thoughts on that? And what uh, Kobe in Canada? Is yeah, that, do you, do you what, call Native Americans Native Canadians up there, or what, how does it work? The the general thought is for if, however, the term of the group that's speaking to you uh, talks to you, and if they refer to themselves as a band or as anything else, that's the proper term to re- to refer to them back as, right? So that way, it's just yeah. So it's it's very common. It's very nice and easy, and everybody there's no misunderstanding about you know some groups like to be called different things. So for us, we've had a couple major projects that have dealt with with some with some bands um, just on the west side of Calgary. There's a major ring road going around Calgary, um, going through. Uh, the Tsutsina land that's there. So uh, it was five years of negotiating, I think, if not more, um, and with some very specific, you know, things to do, some hard negotiations. But, um, you know, it, there are, <laughs> in Western Canada, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of reservation lands um, that have to be, you know, gone through, gone around in some cases. Uh, and consultation is just, is really big up here especially right now, especially the last dozen years, there have been projects uh, put on hold because of bad consultation and projects that have gone ahead quickly because of, of great consultation and, and relations. You know, Kobe, in America, our nation has, and I'm just going to say it, has an unforgivable history, historic relationship with ind- indigenous people of North America. And it's one of the things, you know, we talked about as kids, I'm, we'll play cowboys and Indians. And as I've grown up and we've learned more, that's, that's not really funny. Uh, and we talked on the first IJR episode I did about the concept of property rights and how everybody demands property rights in America, but where were the property rights concerns when we were taking property from the people who were already here, right? So I'm curious as to what happened, what's the history of that in Canada? Did, do, do you, were indigenous people relocated to uh, defined regions, or how did things work up there? 
So that is possibly the most topical question <laughs> for right now that you could bring up, to be honest. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have uh, been hearing much out of Canada vis-a-vis uh, -vis the residential schools uh, and oh, the, yeah. mass, the, the mass uh, graves that they've found. Um, our uh, history is not very gold as well, not good at all in a lot of cases. Um, there are some treaties that, that were uh, done that uh, did not benefit, that benefited um, the crown and uh, Eastern Europeans coming in way more than it did in, in any, uh, for any Aboriginal peoples. Um, and it is something that we're dealing with to this day. There are a lot of difficult judgments that have come out, a lot of difficult decisions. Uh, we've been forced to look back and, you know, um, and decide, well, I don't want to say reparations, um, but decide what's going to happen, uh, especially with um, <laughs> sorry, some of the treaties that have come and gone deal more with uh, fishing and hunting rights, even outside of the normal reservation lands and the ancestral lands. Uh, so yeah, it's a very, very complicated, bumpy history to say the very least. Gosh, it sure is. Well, I, I did read something that I thought was interesting. Uh, I think it was from the Atlantic that said that the reservations here were originally created and those boundaries were drawn to contain the indigenous people to that area. And it's kind of shifted to more of a, a concept of preservation of those tribal lands. But either way you look at it, it it's atrocious it's atrocious and then there's all these facts about uh people who live on a reservation or i saw that 500 percent more likely to get tuberculosis than any of us 500 percent more likely that's unbelievable and a lot of it's because they don't have connection to utilities and so you know the health the health risks of living there are atrocious and then that three-year waiting period to even get to live on a reservation they they usually move in with a friend out there anyway while they're waiting and so there are like two bedroom houses with no utilities that have four families living in them it's a, it is atrocious cindy so. any comments from the great northwest you know i don't have a lot of experience actually working with tribes i had one project on uh, Lummi Island, um, and there is just it, it incredibly complicated to to work with uh, so many um, trustees that have interest in the property. But like you said, that um, the living conditions um, are uh, kind of an eye opener, and uh, I'm glad we're talking about this subject to bring it forefront. Me too. And it's, you know, it's one of those where we're like, oh, can I say that? I was talking to Dave about it before we started. And I, I quoted this article that it, it said Indian. I'm like, oh, can we say that? Can we say that? Like, we got to talk about this stuff. And I'm kind of with you, Kobe. Like, if the article that is uh, like the Indian, it's called the Indian Indian Native Partnership. If they say the word Indian, then I'm going to say it. But I, I, I certainly want to treat, uh, treat it with respect and be cognizant of that. Yes. Always. Great topic, Kristen. Great topic. Thank you. And what we're going to do now... Now that we've had, ooh, that was heavy. We got to lighten this My up. <laughs> we we got to lighten this up. Kobe, it is your turn. It is your turn, my friend, for a pop culture right, discussion. Can, what you got? I can definitely lighten this one up. Okay, so uh, for this one, I want you to, you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but I want you to think back. I want you to think back to your youth, hanging out with your buddies, hanging out with your friends, long before the days where you ever thought of being in the right-of-way industry, Simpler times, picture if you will, a hot summer day, hint of a cool breeze, 
faint smell of corn dogs and mini donuts wafting through the air. <laughs> mini the donuts. The clatter of roller coasters, the ringing of winning bells. I want to take you back to the one of the best summer events of all time, the carnival. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Now, as a former carny, I want to know what your favorite thing about a carnival growing up was. If you still go to carnivals, if that's changed, and the big question that everybody always wants to know, are you a ride person or not? Okay, hold on. Yeah, this stop. is not going by. Stop You're a presses. former carny. Do you um, have small hands and smell of cabbage? Smell like cabbage? Yeah. You betcha. Oh. <laughs> Kobe, how do you not lead with this? Like the first time I ever met you, you should have been like, hi, I'm Kobe. I'm a carny. Slash Seth, and I used to be a carny. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you I the like bearded? to pull it out when. <laughs> You're the bearded woman, aren't you? God, no. <laughs> yeah, you, okay, so you like to pull this out, this this tidbit. When do you do this? When when conversation gets dry, when there's not much to talk about, when there's a pause, or when I just want it more focused on me, to be honest, because it's an easy one. There's... Well, uh, I'm, the I podcast is over. After, we're going to discuss this, and then I'm not discussing mine because I can't top the fact that you are the fact that Kobe the Carney, Kobe the Carney, Kobe the Carney, Kobe the Carney. <laughs> you have made my day. And I'll can I I'll answer your question. The question was, right, sure. do you, are you a ride person? And what was the other question? There was a couple of them. What was your favorite carnival thing growing up? And if that's different now? Okay. My favorite carnival thing has always been like the nasty, greasy food. Always, 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 oh, always. Yeah. And at the State Fair of oh, Texas, yeah. they have Fletcher's Corny Dogs, which are, uh, they're like probably a foot and a half long and they're fresh. They're fried on the spot. You put a little mustard on there. They're delicious. So uh, it's the food and I love a roller coaster, but I always kind of check out. I like kind of look around like I'm an engineer or something. And I'm like, I'm not sure this one looks real sturdy. I like to kind of look at who's running the ride. Do I feel safe putting my life in their hands? But I do love a ride. I will ride a roller coaster anytime. Love it. Not after eating a Fletcher's corny dog though. You ride the rides, then you get the greasy food. Proper way to do it. You bet. Okay. Cindy, what say you? I love carnivals. I live in a very small town of about 20,000 people, and every year we have what's called a Holland Happening, and Dave's Amusement Park rolls in, and everyone gets super, super excited. I am I am like Courtney. Um, I love, love, love the food. I I'm the, try to be the first in line for that elephant ear just smothered in powdered yes. sugar. And I just walk around with this mustache of powdered sugar um, as I'm checking out the rides like you do now that I'm a mom. I'm all about safety first. Um, <clears throat> kind of frightening how I could easily get on a ride. But now that I'm a mom, um, when they were younger, man, I was checking it out, checking out the people that operated it and biting my nails as my kids got on there screaming and hollering. <laughs> Wait, what's an elephant ear? Is that like a um, funnel cake? Oh, well, that's a good one too. Uh, okay. Uh, an elephant ear looks like an elephant ear. It's like just big flat piece of dough and it's fried golden brown. Yeah. And while it's warm, they sprinkle cinnamon and just powdered Sounds sugar. Like a, you can put, Oh, it's like a, fantastic. It's bigger than the plate. It's bigger like than a, the plate. a sopapilla. Bigger than that. Like, yeah. This is a gargantuan sopapilla I'm and in. it's flatter. And flatter. My favorite, my favorite carnival game is anything with the biggest Mickey Mouse. I'm a big Mickey Mouse fan. So I, if there is Mickey Mouse anywhere, I will try to shoot that basketball into the hoop that's bent in substandard um, height. I will pitch pennies. I will shoot a 
broken water gun, anything to win that big Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know, wait, wait, are, are you are you subtly hinting the carnival games are fixed? Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> do, subtle. do you remember that scene from the movie The Jerk where Steve Martin, <laughs> Navin R. Johnson worked at a carnival? Absolutely. Remember that? And mm-hmm. he was like, in yep. between, you can win something between here and here. Step right up and win some crap. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Which, ironically, was my favorite part of the carnival that would come to town, was the opportunity to win some crap. I, I yeah. love that. But, but... What I came to love, that was as a kid, because I don't care about winning crap anymore. What I, I loved as an adult, and this happened when I lived in the city of Suffolk, Virginia, for 20 years. And Suffolk is the home of Planters Peanuts, which was founded in Suffolk, Virginia. And uh, they have the Peanut Fest every year, every fall. And I found the Peanut Fest was the greatest place to go see some either C-list band or a has-been. There's nothing like listening to Molly Hatchet on a Saturday night after dark in Suffolk, Virginia. And shortly after, I don't remember what season it was of American Idol, uh, Casey Abrams, it was the year that he came in second or third or fourth, who is a great musician, and he played there, and I met him. And so he came out, signed his CD for my daughter, and talked to him for a little while. But it's, it's a great way to see some music that you might not otherwise get to see and hang out on a Saturday night. So that's my favorite part of the carnival. Nice. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was any... peanut fest, by the way, P E A N U T just in case anybody got that wrong. Oh boy. Uh, Kobe, do you have any carny insight for us? Like, is there like something that things that we need yeah, to know about to... carnivals or what did you, what, and what, what did you do? Did you run the rides? Did you do the games? Did you serve corn dogs? We, uh, and, and I'm going to throw Carlene into this too. So my, my wife, uh, she came back and forth across the country with me for a year or two when we were first going out. And when we did that, we figured we could live together forever. So that was, that was great. The, <laughs> uh, the, you know what, what I, what we did is we ran a, a game called laser runner. So imagine laser tag in a big inflatable tent. Oh my. So you strapped on the vest, put the guns on jumped in through this, you know, pressurized door and you had to jump through it. You couldn't, you know, casually, you know, walk into it. You had to cannonball through the door and then you could spend 10, 15 minutes bouncing around shooting people. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was, it was great, you know, and yeah, did that independently back and forth across the country. A great way to see the country, but I'm never letting my kids do it. I'm crying right now. This is the best story ever. Okay. Kobe, before we let you off the hook, uh, you being our inaugural Canadian guest on the Pendulum Land podcast, this is just, I'm not going to let you off that easily, okay? So I expected it. <laughs> I, 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 I want to ask you something. One of my favorite TV shows from about five years ago was called Trailer Park Boys, and it was awesome, and it got picked up by Netflix, and it went kind of sideways, but whatever. So uh, are, are Julian and Ricky and Bubbles real? Do, do you know them, and is that what Canada's really like? Certain parts of Canada, yes. <laughs> and I think they're in, what, Nova Scotia or something like that? Yeah. A lot of the Canadian shows that come out are representative of little portions of the population. If you've ever seen Letterkenny, that's the new one you got to watch. Okay. I'll check that out. Where, where do I yeah. find that? Um, um, Google it, I get Dave. it on Crave TV. I'm sure you could. Yeah, you can find it somewhere. Uh, best thing to do is 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 look under YouTube Letterkenny Problems. Just watch the first one that comes up. You'll be hooked. I can't wait. Okay. I, and, you know, they, they actually have a list of Ricky-isms from Trailer Park Boys. 
that um, I think we should have a, a list of Christianisms from the Pendulum Land podcast. Because you're, you're kind of, if you were male, you'd be just like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. I don't know Trailer Park Boys. I feel like that's very much probably not a compliment since it came from you. <laughs> what do you think, Kobe? Compliment or no? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to go back to this. So we're going to serious things up a little bit. We're going to go back to the substantive discussion. And I'm going to go next. Uh, and here goes. So. I am a lawyer. We all know that, right? And everyone knows that. Somehow you still come back week after week and we manage to get guests on the show. But I have this theory that most of right of way is in fact law. All right. Even stuff that is not technically law, like appraisals, uses and incorporates law. We talked about that with David Burgoyne two weeks ago, right? We sure did. So what's the first step in a right of way process? It's running title, right? Right. That's law. That is law. It's recorded in a courthouse, at least in America, Kobe. I don't know. Do you all even have titles in Canada? But we'll get to that. But as a litigator who's handled hundreds of eminent domain cases, I can't tell you the number of times that a client has had to spend thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, because there was a mistake made in the original title report, okay? That title examiner is one of the most critical figures in the right-of-way process, but it's also the person who's most likely to be overlooked and sometimes, dare I say, devalued. Okay, the title examiner. I think they're I think they're de-emphasized. But if that person, if that title examiner makes just a tiny, tiny error, the whole thing can go sideways. You can have a critical parcel where a mistake was made and we're going to stop things because you don't have something correct. Then you have to go all the way back to the beginning. One tiny error in that title report is going to jack up your project. Okay. Now let's just examine, and you guys jump in here if you can think of others. Let's just examine a few things that can go wrong in a title report. Number one, you miss an owner. And that's not that uncommon because if wills aren't probated or you don't name an owner and they haven't been made a bona fide offer or offered just compensation or whatever, uh, an owner, what if you've missed a transfer? What if that, and that's not as uncommon as you would like to think that it is. What if an easement is missed and you haven't bought that easement? What if a deed of trust is missed? And you've paid $400,000 to the owner, but there's a $300,000 deed of trust on there. And it goes on from there, okay? And here's the problem that I have. And you guys know I have no problem just telling it like I see it on the Pendulum Land podcast. Oh, we know. Okay. (laughs) Here's the problem. Some agency employees see the title as, quote, no big deal, right? And they treat it accordingly. Not so much consultants. I think consultants, by and large, take title very seriously. But some agencies simply don't. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard somebody from a municipality that has condemning authority or elsewhere say, I can get somebody to run title for $100 a parcel all day. So why are you charging so much? Well, let me, let me tell you why. Okay, because if you're getting titles for 100 bucks a parcel in the United States, especially on the East Coast, you ain't getting a title. And I think it's an ethical issue. I really do. And I, I'm telling you guys, I have litigated situations where things have been missed. 
and the and the 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 acquisition is stopped dead in its tracks, and then somebody has paid me five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, or more because they wanted to spend a hundred bucks a title on the front end, and you're not getting a lawyer's opinion for a hundred bucks a title. And the other thing is these examiners who are generally extremely qualified, and they're a kind of a dying breed. There's nobody getting into that industry that I can think of, but they're very qualified. But an attorney who signs off on the report needs to read the title documents. And you're not going to get a good lawyer who knows what she is doing to do that when you've already paid that examiner the $100. So I'll step off my soapbox, but I think this is an ethical issue. I think you got to get the title right on the front end, and I don't think it's negotiable. And anybody who works for a public agency who says, I want a title for 100 bucks or 75 bucks should be fired. They do not belong in our industry. Boom. How do you really feel, though? I don't know. Okay, well, I started out doing title. That's what I did when I, at the very beginning of my career. I was running title, and I loved it. But I agree with you. It is an ethical issue. What do you guys think? And, Kobe, what's up in Canada with titles? How does that work? For us, we are supremely lucky in Alberta. The crown basically guarantees all titles. So we don't have to go through the same search and the same background and the same history that that you guys have to. It's digital. I can have a title within three to four minutes. Ah, What? Okay, maybe you can. You can get a title for a hundred bucks a title. This is more surprising (laughs) than you being a carny. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 what? (laughs) This is amazing. So you just can like pull it up. Brilliant. Yeah, there's there's a, a program in Alberta called Spin. Basically, you just create an account, log into it, link your credit card, whatever, up to it. I believe titles are 30 bucks, plans are 15 Jesus, Registered I stand documents, corrected. I think, are 35 But it is a totally different system, and errors still exist. That's part of the problem. Even though it's guaranteed by the Crown, I mean, there's human error. There's historical error. There are things that um, surveys can be wrong. And affect titles further down the road. Speaking of the of a dying breed, we had somebody in our office who retired after being with the government 50 years. And one of his specialties was pulling up titles, pulling up historical documents, going through and ensuring that they were correct. And since he's been gone, it's been a struggle sometimes. Well, even co- even in simple names, like our department is uh, realty services. On a lot of titles, it says reality services because there's spelling <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Canadians do a lot of things right, and that, yeah. that might be one of them. Oh, but, my absolutely. gosh. Kobe, clear something up for us. Um, you referenced the crown. What, what do you mean by that? And, and uh, sometimes we'll search the title, especially in the East Coast, back to the King's Grant. And that's the King's Grant of land to somebody. But I don't think that's what you meant by the crown. What do you mean by the crown? Actually, it is, basically. It goes all the way back to the king. Um, we've had, they, we don't come across them very often now because those titles have been, you know, carved up and sold and carved up and sold again and again and again. Uh, but we do come across uh, titles from the crown. It's uh, the title right now for Alberta infrastructure is essentially uh, Alberta infrastructure in care of the right of way of the, mag- of the uh, majesty of Queen of England type, type scenario. So it does go back to the crown. And we typically refer to the crown as as government overall. Does that include your very attractive prime minister? What? <laughs> what's, what's happening? Hey now. What's happening? Hey now. 
Why would I Google? How, okay. <laughs> so as you can imagine, in, in America, we don't refer to the government as a crown because we had to have a war to establish our own um, independence. And uh, I, I'm not sure how it happened in Canada. Kobe, can you give us a primer there? Long story short, we were just we were just easy going and went along with it. As Canadians, <laughs> yeah, they were like the the yeah. crown was like, yeah. we don't want you. You're from Canada. You're gonna one day come up with Alanis Morissette and uh, a couple of other bad bands, and so just go Bite on your merry ways. Your tongue, sir. She's yeah. a treasure. You say one word about Nickelback, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kobe, Alanis Morissette. Why is she so mad? What happened up there? We had a very, very angsty time in the nineties. You sure <laughs> hey, did. Everybody was angsty in the nineties. That was a, it was our brand. Well, we were too. The Pacific Northwest, Cindy, y'all were angsty in the nineties. Some great music. The whole grunge, the whole great grunge thing. Eddie Vedder, I hate my parents. Hey, let me tell you something about Eddie Vedder. Okay, Pearl Jam, one of my favorite bands, and I actually wrote this down. God, I love Eddie, like a biggest man crush ever. But Eddie Vedder, when he sings. I am, in cl- I am as close to being in love with another man as I could possibly be. But when he talks, I want to literally set him on fire. <laughs> I love Eddie better. <laughs> Talking or singing. Love Eddie better. What do you all think of Eddie? Lo- love Eddie. Especially, ironically enough, the ukulele stuff that he does. Oh, really? he's so good. Yeah. Yes. That, part of that is history. My grandpa used to play the ukulele for us, and we'd all sit around and, and listen. So there's a little bit of nostalgia in that, too. But, yeah, fantastic. Love Pearl Jam. Love Eddie Vedder. Cindy? I'm not a Pearl Jam fan. I was not what? into the grunge. Okay, all right. No. You're muted. Canceled. You're muted. You're canceled. Uh, you're definitely canceled. See, you're on mute. You, say something. Nobody's going to hear you. See? Nobody can hear you. Blah, blah. <laughs> ah, she's back. And she's back. You don't love Pearl And you live in the Pacific Northwest. I, I bet, didn't grow up in the Northwest. I bet you I don't wear corduroy up. either, do you? And I bet you love your parents. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> or no to one, yes to, to the parents. <laughs> so any comments, since you're not going to talk about Eddie, any comments on the title issue? On title, that's it's a hot spot for me. Uh, what we're finding on the consultant side is education is key with our public agencies on explaining the risks of not clearing encumbrances and having marketable title. We, uh, at the very front end, make sure we've got a very clear title clearing uh, procedure in place um, and discuss any red flags that we find on the title that might slow down um, project schedule. But you're right, Dave, I think it's an ethical issue. We need to make sure that our information that we're relying on and those title commitments are on on spot, on, on point. Grief. I shouldn't have been drinking while we were doing this, guys. <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late to open a bottle, right? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, Cindy, since since you've already got the mic and you've been unmuted, I think this is a good time to, to have your pop culture discussion. What do you think, Kristen? Let's do it. All right. So one of my favorite country artists is Kenny Chesney. And in the early 2000s on his uh, No Shoes, No Shirt, No Problem album, he had a song on there called A Lot of Things Different. And in the lyrics, he talks about how he would have stood up to that bully when he pushed and called him names, but he was afraid. He'd gone on and saw Elvis that night. He came to town, but Mama said he couldn't. Um, he would have went skinny dipping with Jenny Carson that time she dared him to, and he didn't. Um, but he's, his big line in there is, I'd done a lot of things different. 
the the bridge lyrics are people say they wouldn't change a thing even if they could ooh but i would so um in the early 2000s when i heard the song i liked the melody and of course kenny chesney's voice and his iconic black cowboy hat and puka shell necklace but now 20 years later and at uh, mid-century mark for candles on my birthday cake that song means a lot more looking back what is one thing you guys would change if you could oh that's a great topic wow uh i'm talking now so i guess i'll answer you know, it well yeah. go ahead please please okay i kind of am one of those people that i don't i i like i really like my life i like my life right now i'm very happy and content with my life right now so i'm like i don't really want to mess around too much with the past but i will say I do wish that I had learned some things earlier or taken a peek at some things earlier like self-care and setting boundaries and looking inward and learning more about myself and how I interact with the world. So I, I wish I had paid more attention to that stuff earlier on, but uh, I, I, I like where I am today. So I don't know that I would change any particular situation. I just wish I had learned more or been more curious about that stuff earlier on. Kobe, what do you think? Yeah, I'm in the same sort of boat overall. I'm happy with my life. Um, not a huge amount of change. I, I've had a few crossroads in life where, you know, again, being with the carnival, whether I wanted to take off and run away with there for, you know, more than just the year that I did. Uh, I always wanted to go uh, to art school and delve into that a little bit more. The, the, the one Now, I don't want to do this because, again, happy with my life now. But there was one college I was going to go to in Eastern Canada that 90% of the graduating class that I would have been in had I gone all got hired by Pixar. So that would have been a dramatically different change in life had I gone and, and done it. But I think for me, it would be would be dealing with art. I wish I would have taken some more chances uh, in getting some art done, uh, spent more time drawing and developing that. Um, and Thankfully, I'm not at a point yet where I can't not do that. I still want to do that. I still want to develop a board game that I'm working on. So there's still time for things. So yeah, nothing, no major life-altering ones. But I think generally it has taken some more chances that I didn't do. Awesome. Yeah. Did you guys, uh, Cindy, this is a great topic, and I'm so glad you brought it to the show. Um, do you all remember the movie The Butterfly Effect? Did you see it? I remember it. Yep. Ashton Kutcher was in it, and they're talking about it. But the concept behind it is if you change one teeny tiny, if one yes in your past was a no, you, you might be unrecognizable right now, okay? And so I look back on my own life, and um, this is probably getting too deep into my personal life, but I, I regret a lot of yeses that should have been nos, and I regret some nos that should have been yeses. But if I change a single one of those yeses to no or a single no to yes, I don't have my daughter, who I consider to be um, my greatest pride and joy and my only legacy in this world. And I have one child. And so that's why I am so hesitant to give any sort of answer to this because just think back, think back about your history of relationships like I should have said, I should have gone out with Susie Q or I should have broken up with Susie X, right? And one change in your series of relationships could have changed the relationship that gave you your child, even if you don't care for the person 
who's the parent of that child or that person's acted atrociously. And I, 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 I hate to sound like Kenny Chesney, but I'd be terrified to change a single thing in that regard. Now, did you say now or meow? Oh, meow. Always meow. meow. Always meow. meow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me get my. Ooh. Um, now, the other side. No, to I that, like that, Dave. Yeah. The other side to that is, uh, <clears throat> you know, I had some preconceived notions about, and this, this dovetails off of Kristen's discussion. I had some preconceived notions of myself when I was young, which were false. Okay, and the most famous one is I was bad at math. I thought I was bad at math, so I had to be a liberal arts major. Well, you know, I took the SAT three times, and my math score was like double my English score each time. I wasn't bad at math, but I told myself I was because it was challenging, and you can't fake math. You can't BS math, right? But because you can't BS math the way you can BS your way through an essay or a a, a paper in college, I just assumed that I was bad at it. And there are certain things in my history that I'm like, well, you're not any good at that, so I didn't pursue it. I didn't try out for the high school baseball team. And I was a damn good baseball player in Little League. And so it's things like that. Like, where did I get these preconceived notions about myself which were at the time false? Was it lack of confidence? Because I certainly didn't lack confidence in other areas of my life, right? And so going back to the Kenny Chesney song, while I wouldn't change a single thing in in the chain of relationships because I would never want to lose the child that I have, who's mine right now. Uh, I will say that I wish I'd gone out for that baseball team in high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's enough for me. How about you, Kobe? You didn't answer your own question. No, that's Cindy's question. Oh, Cindy, you got to answer your own question. Ah, thank you. So like you, Dave, I wouldn't change a thing about some of the relationships that I've had because I have been blessed with um, two amazing, amazing kids. And, um, but I probably would have changed up, uh, taking pictures with my kids while they were growing up instead of the kids, you know, they're going back through pictures, lots of pictures with dad and them, but I'm the invisible mom. (laughs) So that's one thing I would have changed up. Yeah. And we had the point and shoots, you know, it back then. And so, um, and I really wasn't on Facebook, so the whole digital platform of pictures uh, wasn't in my wheelhouse. But now that I'm on Facebook and I'm seeing everybody's kids growing up and from being a peanut baby, one one posting to them graduating, it's like, how did that happen so fast? And um, I wish I just had more pictures with my kids. So. Wow. Well, thanks for bringing a really heavy topic. That Depends was... on land podcast. <laughs> no, that was it wasn't fantastic. supposed to be. And I probably go ahead. I would probably have uh, wish I had listened more to my uh, mentors um, in my twenties when uh, they were saying invest in the oh, stocks. Boy. I can only imagine what that compound interest would look like now, twenty years later. No kidding. But you know what? I think what the point is of all this is that we all are where we are for a reason, and. Absolutely. There's also so. still time. You know, Kobe, go do some yeah. art stuff. Well, I got to lighten things up. Cindy, Cindy. Okay. You know that um, that game we played with Jake Farrell, you know, date, marry, kill, and date really means one night stand. Or You know that? You know that? Yes. So, we're going to play the game with you. Okay. Date, date, marry, or kill. Chris Cornell, Lane Staley, Eddie Vedder, and you can't kill Lane or Chris because they're already dead. Go. 
Oh boy. I don't even know who those three people are. What the? <laughs> what? Right. Kobe has to answer it then. All right, Kobe, you have to answer it. Date, Mary Kill. I can do that. All right. I can do that. Okay. Date, Chris Cornell. Nice. I, I'd have to marry Eddie Vedder. Yes. You do him right. Just gag him. Don't let right? him talk. You have to sing. I mean... You have to sing everything to me in our marriage, Eddie. <laughs> And you're going to kill Lane. And, well, unfortunately, Lane would you know, yeah. have to, you know. Yeah. Well, that, I, that doesn't change anything. Good, yeah, he he took care of that for you, Kobe. Kobe, I would have said the exact same thing. Way to go. Very good answer. Excellent. Okay. Hey, guys, guess what? <laughs> what? We have something really, really big that's about to happen. What is it? We have three new inductees into the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. Woo! Do we have a drum roll? Drum Woo! roll! No, it's really it's a long, long drum roll. Long, long drum roll. Wow. We need a new drum roll. We do. Okay. All right. <laughs> Cindy, I understand that you have the three envelopes, and you're going to reveal the three new inductees into the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. Are you ready? I'm ready. I am ready. Ready, ready, ready. Okay. Who is the first new inductee? It is... Aaron Newberry. Yes. Oh, Aaron Ooh, Newberry. That Aaron is Newberry. so awesome. Yeah. Do we have some? Yeah. What? 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 Yeah. Okay. So Aaron is a, Aaron's a, a longtime friend of the show and a personal friend of mine. And she has shown up to all of our live events. She was a guest on our, our live event in New Orleans. And the one that we had with Jake Farrell, she showed up with snacks, beverages, <laughs> I think she had some pom-poms and some <laughs> swag, and she was front row Joe, and she's a very good friend of the show. So, Aaron Newberry, welcome to the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. We adore you. Thank you. Okay, number two. Are Don't you ready? Go ahead, Cindy. No more drum roll. <laughs> number two is Robert Thomas. <gasps> yes. Thank yeah. you, Robert. Thank you. The Robert Thomas. Robert is one of our first and fastest and bestest friends on the podcast as well. He's been on our show, what, twice? Three times. Four Three, times. Four, four times. times, including an intermezzo. Four times. And he's super fun on Twitter. Y'all should find him on Twitter and LinkedIn. He always is posting great content and has been just a lovely friend of the show. He gave us our spam masks. Yes, he gave us our spam masks. He's the author of InverseCondemnation.com, which is a blog dedicated to the right-of-way industry. Really eminent domain. Now, Robert is on the other side of the aisle from us. Okay. We still like him. He works at the Pacific Legal Foundation, which does not align with our interests, but he's also a professor, a visiting professor at my alma mater, William & Mary Law School. So congratulations, Robert, and thank you for your support. And number three. Last but not least, Christina Thorson. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you about Christina Thorson. Dave and I figured something out. Listen to this. You're so, going gonna to love this, so so put your ears on. Everybody hang tight. So a couple of years ago, I was appointed to serve on a committee with the IRWA with Christina Thorson. And she had an issue going, something with work, or I don't know, there was a reason, and she was not able to serve on that committee. And so they filled her spot with Dave Arnold, this guy over here. And so that is when I met Dave Arnold. And then since then, we've formed a company, and we started this little podcast. So what we figured out is that but for Christina Thorson making the decision to step away from a committee two years ago, none of us are sitting here. There is no podcast. There is no Pendulum Land podcast. So you could say, I think, 
mm-hmm. that Christina Thorison is the godmother of the Pendulum Land podcast. Yes, sir. Welcome, Christina. She also recorded an episode with us recently, uh, The Revenge of the Appraisers, which was a fabulous episode. Not only did she do that, she came and recorded with us on location, and she brought us some super sweet, sweet, super sweet Pendulum Land podcast swag, including these lovely Tervis glasses that we're drinking out of right now. And she also made us infrastructure junkie tattoos that are amazing. So, Christina, thank you for your support. You're a dear friend to us, and we appreciate you. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. All right. Awesome. We're getting a good little group going here, aren't we? Right. Okay. Here we go. Substantive topic. Kobe Godwin, what you got? All right. So, for this one, it's a little broad, and I'm pretty sure we can't come up with an answer right now. But... I think one of the biggest issues uh, coming up in the right-of-way industry right now is just the unknown of the future workforce. So over the past few years, especially in our neck of the woods, uh, we've seen major pipelines canceled, delays on other major projects, price of oil dropping substantially. And and during the worst of it, we started to lose a lot of good people to other industries and retirement. Now that some work is being kick-started as things are opening up again, uh, there are more renewable energy projects in development, as well as some major transportation projects in planning. Those opportunities are all starting to roll back. So uh, we've also seen major technological advances over the last few years, new standards coming from the COVID era. Uh, the industry is evolving and changing, I would say, arguably more than ever before. So I want to know, what does the next wave of right-of-way professionals look like? Where do they come from? What education background will they have? Does the typical skill set that we've seen in agents uh, right now, does that change? Do we get more specialized, more diverse? So where does that go? That dovetails with so many different discussions we've had on this podcast. Wow, you know? yeah. Like the hidden industry and where do you get an education? How do you turbocharge your career? And I've sat in on discussions at regional forums about the young professionals and the need to get people involved. And then also you take that and you juxtapose it with the fact that the, uh, and my apologies to you, Kobe, this is your topic, but the American infrastructure um, system has been crumbling for years on many different fronts and it needs to be repaired. It needs to be expanded. And who the heck is going to do this? Who the heck is going to do this? And I'm sure yep. the same thing is going on with Canada. And so suppose I meet a kid in high school for career day, and I'm like, you need to go into the infrastructure business. You need to go in the right-of-way business. And uh, he says, okay, I will. Well, what do I do, Mr. Arnold? I'm like, I don't know. So what What are we going to do? Cindy? That's a great question. It's kind of tough. Um, I'm going to take a pass and come back to it. Okay. Kristen, answer the question. Fit, I've got solve it. the problem. All right. I've got it. Are you ready? Yep. I, I don't really have it. <laughs> so I pulled out a stumper is what you're saying. Well, you did. But, you know, this is a really important this is a really important issue. And the last time we had an infrastructure junkies roundtable, Carrie Lynn talked about, like, there's not enough people in the industry for, like, clean water infrastructure. Stuff. Yeah. So, like, where do these people come from? I will say I have a, a 12- almost a teenager. Um, And every time I ask her what she wants to do for a living, she's like, oh, I'll just take over your company and do infrastructure stuff. And I'm like, okay, but will you really, please? Wow. Like, please? And then she'll be like, or I could be a ballerina. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. So, you know, it kind of changes. But I think that I've heard 
I, and you, you guys may know more about this than me because I haven't been involved in the young professionals in the IRWA in quite some time, but I've heard some talk of like the young professionals working with universities and like figuring out, we always joke about like, what do you, you never major in right of way. You know, I have music degrees, you know, we all have uh, different career paths to get here. Like, I, I love that idea of, of IRWA and young professionals and, and people in our, in our industry finding those educational paths to bring people to us instead of going, oh, well, I used to own a boutique and I went under, so I, now I'm in right of way. Like this shouldn't be a, this shouldn't be a fallback plan or a second choice or a third career. Like why are people not in high school going, I want to be an infrastructure, I want to be an infrastructure junkie. I want to be in the right of way industry. This is so cool, and it is the coolest industry, but people don't know about it, and they don't know how to get into it. They fall into it, and I think that's a shame. So I I don't know the answer, Kobe, um, but I think we all have work to do in that arena, and it's on us. It's on us. Nobody else is going to do it. That's a great question, and we can't. I can't answer it. I'm I'm literally not smart enough to answer this question, uh, except to say anybody who goes to law school and you don't want to be a practicing lawyer, and that seems to be very common – you, this is this industry is tailor made for you. Okay, so Kobe, what's the right answer? You asked the question. I'm sure you have the answer, right? Yeah. What is it? Oh, totally, totally. Okay. <laughs> no, I I think a lot of it will just deal with outreach, getting into schools, using the young professionals, developing some sort of catalog, and being a little innovative, finding those industries that we can get people more involved in. Um, you know, is it bringing more lawyers in? I I think the you know, the industry needs more lawyers, more specializing lawyers. Uh, and I think for the diver- the workforce coming up, I think, you know, negotiations never going to go away, right? Whether that's, you know, knocking door to door or calling people or, you know, on Skype meetings now, those skills will always be there. So I think reinforcing those, but realizing that we're going to need a bit more of a diverse uh, skill set in other ways. Yeah, I, I agree, agreed, agreed. But hey, listen, buddy. Uh, before I left, let you go, um, I want to bring something up that really, really has weighed on my mind for many, many years. This is going to go nowhere. I'm very upset. What's happening? So Kobe, um, the band Rush. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. You mean mean the, you mean the Canadian treasure called Uh, Rush, I believe is what you're, what you meant to say, right? Well, see, um, um, okay. Here's, here's what I think about Rush. I think they are three incredibly gifted musicians. Like you listen to their songs and each one of them is making magic, but the band sucks. They should have hired a singer. Kobe, they should have hired a singer. If Getty Lee had played bass in a band that they should have hired a singer. And then along came Axl Rose, who told Getty Lee, hold my beer. And, <laughs> but at least Guns N' Roses hired a singer. Now, come on. What's going on there? Tell me what you think. Let's talk. Tell me a little bit about Rush. You know what? To be, to be perfectly honest, uh, I like Rush, but they weren't in the era of music when I grew up listening to it. Rush had had their, you know, was it had hit their peak before I was really into, into rock as much. Um but they are, it's a Canadian institution. They will always be played at house parties in Canada. That I think one thing that generally us Canadians like, if you look at Alanis, if you look at Celine Dion even, and if you look at the Tragically Hip and Gord Downey, we love unique voices. Oh. And wow. Getty Lee has a unique voice 
that as soon as you hear him sing, you know what band it is. There's well, no indecision. You know instantly. Well, he plays a bass guitar like he's playing lead guitar. While the lead guitar is playing, and Neil Drum, Neil Drum, Neil Pert is playing the drums in a more sophisticated fashion than any other drummer I've ever heard. Okay, rest, so you agree they're brilliant. Oh, they're brilliant musicians. Oh my God, they're each of <laughs> them individually. Now. Stop is now, brilliant. Dave. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. You got what you wanted. You got what you wanted. <laughs> so now, what we're going to talk about? Pop culture. Pop. Pop. Pop culture. Kristen. Oh, it's my turn. Okay, I want to talk about a movie that we've referred to before on this podcast, and that is the masterpiece, which is The Notebook, based on the Nicholas Sparks novel. Now. Did you say now or meow? Meow. Always meow. All right. Uh, This movie is one of my favorites. I love Rachel McAdams. I love the Canadian treasure, which is Ryan Gosling, right, Kobe? He's so hot. He's so hot right now. Um, And I love the movie, and I've always thought it was such a sweet romantic movie. But in my old age, as I've learned more about the world and life, I realize this is a terrible, terrible relationship. It's toxic and awful and abusive. And, like, why are they always yelling in each other's faces and slapping each other? And then they kiss. And I'm like, wait, guys, this is not passion. This is toxic and abusive. So that's what I want to say about The Notebook. And... I want to know, and also, 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 Allie and Noah, you think they're this great couple. No, they're not. And in the meantime, she's sitting here trying to choose between Noah and Lon. First of all, marry Lon. What are you doing? Lon was the right guy. Always marry the guy with the money. Marry the guy. So I tell my daughter. Well, now hold on now. But also, (laughs) it's not You need to marry somebody who can afford to pay child support. Fact. Okay, <laughs> there's that. Oh but the Boy, other thing wow. is, Allie had this big choice between Lon and Noah, but like she didn't have to pick either one of them. She could have been single, or she could have like dated That's somebody else. Saying. Or like, why That's do you need to I'm be saying. with Lon or Noah? I'm sorry, I got all. I'm I'm sweating. What's happening? Go okay, ahead. well, uh, you know what? I'm gonna jump in on this, and uh, uh, that's rude of me as a co-host, but it is. I. I'm kind of like you, Kristen. I love the movie The Notebook. I own the movie The Notebook. I've seen The Notebook over 20 times. I can quote The Notebook. I love Ryan Gosling. Actually, I would. I don't mind listening to him talk, so I'd probably marry him before I'd marry Eddie Vedder. That's very insightful, Dave. Wow. Okay, so now back to the show. Um, <laughs> it, it's such, I think because the emotions flare and the passions run so high, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is this is real love, baby. It's That's not love. real love. It's toxic. It's bad. She makes the wrong choice with this guy. And Lon, who's played by James Marsdale, who's hilarious. He's very, very funny in some other movies, yes, by the he way. he is. Babe, you should have married Lon. Should have married Lon, Allie. Yeah, should have married Lon. And it makes me think of another movie that I cherished in the 90s called Reality Bites. Did you all see Reality Bites? I did not. To, to be to be brutally honest, I, I haven't seen either of these. <laughs> Hey, Co- Kobe, I, Kobe, Kobe, we have this Neither great we have this great invention in America, Kobe, called the cinema, and you can go see movies. Nobody and so goes to the cinema. Maybe these Hulu maybe like, these movies just haven't made it to Canada yet. They haven't made it to Canada yet. Okay, so Reality Bites is the same way. Winona Ryder is like torn between two lovers, and one is Ben Stiller, this successful guy with this great career who's really nice to her, and he really likes her, and Ethan Hawke, who is like a chain-smoking, unemployed grease bag. And guess who she ends up with? 
Ethan Hawke. And it's like, oh, it's so romantic. She's with Ethan Hawke. And as a kid, I was like, yeah, Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah. No. No. Well, she, ben Stiller was the catch, not Ethan Hawke. What the, are we doing? You know, this this begs the question, which is a universal, it, like, Kobe and Cindy, you're going to be able to comment on this. Okay? Even though they haven't seen the movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the, But it's, it's a theme. Okay. And it's like, what's going on in your noggin where you picked the wrong guy? And I remember in my 20s, growing up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, I was a young lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And like all these hot women here, but they wanted to date the bartender who made minimum wage plus tips and was paying child support to three different women. Well, What are the, y'all doing? Hold on. What, what are the guys interested in back then, though, too? I mean, like, what guys make the same mistakes and look at Absolutely. the wrong things. I don't looking know. for the wrong things when you're a young man, I would think. Kobe, what do you think? Were you looking for the wrong things? He was a carny. Is your wife going to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? As in in younger days, yeah, I think as you as you grow up and before you mature, you're looking at the wrong people, looking for the wrong people. Uh, and then as you suddenly, you know, start to come into your own and figure out what you want in life and realize what you don't want in life, that, yeah, you you change. It's like, well, from the sound of it, your view of the notebook has changed. And Dave, I think, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, does a man card get returned if you've watched the notebook over a certain amount of times? Probably, or um, probably, I, I, I have told probably. I have told that if if you watch the notebook more than 12 minutes into it, you have to revoke your man card. So here it is. I'm holding it up. I, it's right here. I'm, he has turned in his man card. No, but you know what? I still, I, I would watch the notebook today and I would probably cry and I would probably be like, oh, it's so sweet. But when you really think about it, it's a toxic, it's a, it's an entire novel and movie about a very, very toxic relationship. Cindy, what do you think? Like these decisions in your twenties and whatnot? Well, I would have to say in my twenties, I think, what I was looking for was definitely different than what I'm looking at for in a relationship in my fifties. Um, what I found in my twenties and it was in the bars, um, or at work, it was, it worked, it worked for my, my season, my point in life. Um, but there's nothing wrong with dating the bartender. Hey, I, wait, I got a great idea. Uh-oh. This episode is perfect. Maybe we can get Tinder to sponsor it. Instead yes. of pendulum land services. Yes, I love it. <laughs> okay. I love it. Okay. Are we ready to move on to something serious? Cindy Welpley. Yes. Your substantive topic. So my topic um, talks about the multi-generational workforce and dealing with that controversial topic of returning to work after the pandemic. Um, our our workforce. Um, this is coming from the Society of Human Resources Management. We've got four different generations in the workforce, the baby boomers, uh, the Generation X, the millennials, and now Generation Z, which I did not know this, but that's anybody that's been was born after 1995. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what was I doing in 1995? Um, uh, dating bartenders. We should ask Julie. Dating bar, yeah. D- Julie was dating bartenders and 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 had just started her career um, <laughs> as a right away agent. <laughs> Those were the days, right? Um, and no, I did not date a bartender. I, I don't even know why that fell out of my mouth. But Dude, it, no judgment. It, Come on. Yeah, no judgment. No, ju- Julie did, but I didn't. So anyway, going back to the multi, <laughs> going back to the multi generational workforce, um, there there's some conflicts there because like our baby boomers. 
they have a different perspective of the workforce are young professionals um, also have needs and a perception of what work is like and sometimes those two perceptions conflict as they're different. So my question is, this return to work controversy, I'm seeing this in the news, is that there's, I think, 40% now of folks are willing to walk away from their job if they can no longer work from home. So my question is, as a manager, how do you deal with the return to work policy when you have part of your workforce not wanting to come back and threatening to find another job where they can work at home um, and bring in the older workforce that enjoys being in the office and collaborating in person. How do you do that? That is a fantastic and such a timely, timely topic. And I, I have some thoughts on that. Uh, You know, I've been a small company for a long time. I've worked from home for as long as I can remember. And it seems like now everybody's been working from home at least for a period of time and it's like oh my gosh this is great and I'm like I told you guys and I'm wondering I think that there's a little bit of a shift and I think that uh there have been a lot I've seen a lot lately where companies are kind of maybe shifting toward a larger percentage of their uh workforce staying at home and so I think it's bigger than just like how do you get them to come back but maybe maybe we need to all shift our thinking on it I mean do do we do we need to be in an office and at the same time I will say the days of me working in an office with people, I remember what that was like. And there, there are pros and cons, but there's nothing like being face-to-face with people. And you just cannot, like right now, we're, we're recording a podcast with you guys on Zoom. And I'm looking at your faces and I'm so happy, but I wish, can you imagine if y'all were sitting across the table from us right now? It's just different. You cannot replace that. You can't. Yeah. Kobe, what do you think? I think it, more than anything, it's about flexibility. I think it's less about a defined line of staying home, not coming in, staying at work. I, I think it's just people want more flexibility in their in their job and in their time. Um, again, I, I've been at home for over a year now, was kind of waffling whether I wanted to be at home, and now I have the opportunity to be home full-time. So I'm probably going to continue to work from home full-time, pop into the office once a week, maybe twice a week. Um, but it's it's different. You miss the people, you miss the contact. And I think where it needs to be really careful moving forward is that's fine for right now. That's fine for, you know, the staff that all know each other. It's fine for the staff that have been working together five, 10 years. How do you onboard new people oh, in gosh. this new, in this new era? And, and you know, and, great point. And how do you, how do they become acclimated to your company culture if oh, they're remote? And, and I will say this. My company's a little larger than yours, Kristen, and I'm the managing partner of a law firm of about a a little fewer than 100 employees, and we encouraged everybody to stay home for a year. And now I'm like, everybody, come on back. Come on, on, get back in the office. Just get back here. And we've had several extremely valuable key employees with a unique skill set say, I ain't coming. And so what am I going to do, fire them? No, they're very valuable. But the way I prefer to look at this is look at look at the silver lining of this, all right? We now have several lawyers who are elsewhere working remotely, and we're able to utilize their talents from afar where we couldn't before because now everything's in the cloud and we can do this. And before it would have to be, no, you can't work for us, period. And we also have some very, very valuable staff members, paralegals, with unique skill sets 
that we can utilize their talents. Now, I don't know where this is going, and I think for every action, there's a reaction, and I think it's going to shift back. And I think people are going to be like, I'm so tired of looking at the house flies in my house. I want to come back to work. I think this is more of like, let's put a pin in it and see what's going to happen a year from now. So like Infrastructure Junkies Roundtable Part 8. We'll yeah. like revisit that. Are you guys still at home? I don't know. Cindy, what do you think? I think the answer is a, like a hybrid model. I think we've been able to show our clients, um, our agencies, uh, that we can produce still uh, in a remote work setting. I think it uh, working from home has improved home life, um, created stronger bonds um, with uh, parents and children, being able to um, be engaged and at home as well as behind a computer. Like Kristen said, there's nothing uh, more important than having that interaction, that mojo in person to collaborate uh, on a project and, and build your team. Truth, truth. Okay. No substitute. We are almost running out of time. We're going to do one more pop culture discussion, which is sort of pop culture. Okay. Is it yours? It's mine. Is it about Eminem? Could be. Okay. It is this. What is your most terrifying near-death experience? Ooh. Who wants Cindy? to go? Cindy, Cindy Welpley wants to go. Ah, uh, I've got one as a right-of-way agent. I was a brand-new green relocation agent going through um, an occupancy survey interview. That's where we identify who lives on the property and what type of uh, relocation needs they had. And um, I was sitting on one couch and this big burly guy with a beard um, was, was on the- Kobe? Wait, was it Kobe? Oh, <laughs> kind of I mean, reminds Seth, me Seth. of him, but yeah. It was Seth, it was Seth. It was Seth. Yeah. It was Seth. <laughs> uh, and then his Harley was sitting uh, in between the couches. So I was looking, it was like his coffee table. And I was so green. I didn't really pay attention to the trash outside, which was mainly plastics and tubings. I didn't really understand the smell and nail polish. It was a really strong um, smell inside the house. And so I'm going through my little checklist and I said, okay, this is where we get up and uh, give me a tour of your house and I'll take pictures. And he says, no, you're not going to do that. And I said, well, no, that's what I'm supposed to do. I was like early, my early twenties. So I was just you do A, then you do B, then you do C, and this is what you do. And I was t completely oblivious that I was sitting in a meth house. Oh, and so the, snap. Yep. And so Seth brings out this shotgun and points <laughs> it at me. So I'm looking at this barrel of a shotgun. He says, this is where you leave now. And I walked backwards in heels to the front door and um, just shaking in my shoes, got in my state car, drove around the corner and then called state troopers to come um, deal with the situation. But that was my near death experience as a, a newbie right away agent in San Diego. Cindy. Wow. Oh well, my yeah. gosh. Uh, Seth, what were you thinking? Yeah. Kobe slash Seth, can you top that? Like I said, I, w I was a different person back in those days. I <laughs> love <laughs> <Was it> you. <laughs> Go ahead and apologize to her right now. <laughs> so for mine, you know what? I, I've been lucky. I haven't had too many, too many close calls. It, you know, ironically, the two that stick out in mind are both from carnival days. One, um, we were setting up uh, shop, and we had this big wrought iron you know, uh, scaffold structure to set up for our signage and everything. And uh, it just, we didn't have it quite secured. And 
Uh, on takedown day, we forgot it wasn't as quite secured, and it dropped on both Carlene and I. Oh my god! So that oh was, my gosh. you know, oh. th- you know. Thankfully, we were both okay. I think she got a little more bruised than I was, and the only other time was a um, slightly comical near accident of driving a 25 foot cube van and a 25 foot trailer uh, coming down the hill. That's in Saskatchewan. Uh, and picking up speed and all of a sudden at the bottom of the hill we see this little speck and it keeps on growing and growing as we get closer and realizing that our brakes aren't so great and all of a sudden yeah it, there's a big old cow standing in the <gasps> middle of the road oh, <laughs> deciding oh, not yeah. to move <laughs> oh my god thankfully we stopped before but there was you know one or two little uh, heart flutters so yeah so no it, nothing is nothing as dramatic as you know what i did to cindy in a past life but you know <laughs> <laughs> poor cindy oh wow all right chrissy what do you got Okay, so I do have a, a, a good story on this. Um, when I was in college, um, I was dating a guy whose best friend taught people how to repel for, like, if they were doing construction on roofs, and they would go, like, repel down the roof to fix the roof or whatever. And I had a terrifying fear of heights. Still do, by the way. Uh, terrifying, like, just awful, awful, awful fear of heights. And so... It was like, let's go, let's go repelling off of this cliff at Palo Duro Canyon, and this will help you with your fear of heights. And I'm like, this is a great idea. So there's a group of, of about eight of us that go, and it's a, about a 75-foot cliff at Palo Duro Canyon in Texas near Lubbock. And so they, like, hook up the rope, and this guy, Brad, who's the rappelling instructor, he's at the top, and he's like, everybody's going to take their turn. You're going to rappel down. There's somebody at the bottom, like, belaying, which is, like, basically making sure you don't die. And so all my friends, Charity goes, and Lisa goes. Everybody goes down the hill, and everybody's smiling. We have a great time. We take the pictures. Everything's great. It's my turn. And I had very long hair at the time, and I was wearing, like, a bandana, kind of, like, uh, tied tied over the top of my head but my hair was down nobody brad the rappelling instructor didn't mention that i should have my hair pulled back so i'm shaking because i'm so scared of heights i back off the cliff i finally get to where i'm like sitting back in my rope and i'm like oh my gosh this is fine i'm doing great i'm this is great i'm good i've made it and i kick off of the rock and right when i kick off the rock my friend charity who's at the top of the cliff like on this u-shaped cliff said Kristen." Smile for a picture. So I turn my head to smile for a picture, kick off the rock, and the bottom of my hair goes into the safety eight. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like the rope and the safety eight. It goes. And so I end up hanging 70-ish, 80. No, I was probably 65 feet in the air, hanging by my hair because my hair was tighter than the rope. And so I'm hanging in the air, and I hear just as pieces of my hair are ripping out of my head bit by bit. Long story short, way too late. They ended up having to like set up another line and come down. I, I hung by my hair for about 80 minutes. Um, they tossed a uh, pocket knife down to me for me to cut my hair out of the safety eight. And instead of, it was such a dull knife that it was just ripping my hair out. And at one point I was like, just let me go. I'll just, I'll lose all my hair. It'll be fine. They're like, no, dude, this will scalp you. Like, we're not going to do that. So anyway, they ended up coming down, cutting it down. To add insult to injury, when I get to the bottom... I tried to stand up and I'd been in the harness for so long that my legs were numb and my legs gave out and I fell on my tailbone on a rock. And then like, so I couldn't walk. My hair is, I had to cut my hair real short. I will privately text you guys a picture of my haircut after this incident because it's not my best look. Anyway, I survived, but I had a wow. really crazy oh repelling, repelling accident that, back in the nineties. That's terrifying. But it was awful. 
It doesn't hold a candle to my most terrifying experience. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Are you okay? Yeah. I debated, um, just don't, I, I debated long and hard whether I was going to share this with you guys. And um, Take your time. All right. This was about four or five years ago. All right. Just give me a minute. Are you okay? Okay, I, about four or five years ago, I was at MacArthur Mall, which is was an upscale mall in Norfolk, Virginia. And Are you crying? Can you just okay? Sorry, calm down. I um, was in the Nordstroms at there, and and I was on the first floor, and I was going up to the second floor where the men's department was, and I got on the escalator. Oh God. And halfway up. It broke down. Did you like fall through the floor like in those videos? No. Halfway up between the first floor and the second floor of the Nordstrom in Norfolk, Virginia, and MacArthur Mall, the escalator broke down and I was stuck for three hours. Um, on wow. The, on the escalator? <laughs> Don't make fun of me. I, was, I had to pee so bad. So you mean that you were on an escalator and then it just turned into like stationary stairs? Yes. Has that happened to you? Don't make fun of me, Miss Repelling Accident. I'm not, but like, could you just walk up or down? What? If an escalator's not moving, isn't it just like stairs? What? Okay, guys. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I what? What? <laughs> Um, are you going to be okay? No, but this might be a good time. <clears throat> this might be a good time to end the show. Thank you, Kobe. Thank you, Cindy. You've been wonderful guests. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you We're lucky Dave's awesome. still around after that crazy near-death experience. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Shady's back. Tell your friends.